0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas with a simple goal of following Jesus together, and we hope this message helps you in doing just that. I'm Debbie Dunn, and this morning I'll be reading from John 13, 1 through 17, and 34 and 35. It was just before the fast-over festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys? It's good to be here with you this morning. For those of you I haven't met, my name is Andrew. Family, my wife Katie and I, we've been going to the Vine now four years, I think this week. I think this is like our anniversary or sometime around this, which is very exciting. My wife is on staff here at the Vine part-time doing communications, and I have the pleasure serving on our compassion team. So when given the opportunity to close out this sermon series on guardrails, it was an easy choice for me on what to preach on. It's the guardrail in response to the gospel, pour yourself out for others. Our scripture reading today was from John 13, and I have a confession to make. I've preached on John 13 before. It's one of the first sermons I ever did straight out of grad school. It was on staff at my church, and I bombed it. It was an absolute disaster. I'll never forget this feeling of standing up there, freaking out, looking at clueless people, just wanting to go sit down and melt into my chair. So I say this. You shouldn't start with an apology, but there's a lot on the line today. (laughs) As I try and redeem a story that's worth getting right, Because despite failing in my first attempt, this scripture holds a story that is so powerful with images, symbols, and relevancy for us as a church. I wanted to open today with a quick story of my own journey and the journey I've been on of pursuing ministry, or as I've come to see it, uh, a journey of how to serve other people, how to live compassionately as I follow Jesus. I grew up with a desire um, to do ministry as a career, and at the time, I saw this very one-dimensionally as being a pastor. And so growing up, I really pursued and I immersed myself with activities that would help me to become a pastor one day. I went to Baylor University, sick bears, didn't realize at the time I'd be going to a school that would have more uh, athletic achievements than the University of Texas, who knew, I God, I've started. God, I've started off with uh, telling you I've bombed this before, and now I'm, I'm mocking the hometown team. Not a good start. Um, I studied religion and speech comm there. I went on the mission trips. I worked as a Christian camp counselor. I did all the things. I even had a mentor named Mark Charbonneau. After this, I knew one thing I knew that I didn't want to be a youth pastor, and so that meant I needed to go to grad school and go to seminary. So I went to seminary. I continued studying biblical studies from world-renowned scholars. I worked at my church. I led small groups. But the interesting thing was I felt like God was showing up in my life in the unexpected places. It wasn't in the places I thought God would necessarily show up in. It actually, I felt like I was seeing God most active and involved on the patio of the Starbucks where I reluctantly worked part-time. This is where God was showing up, and he was showing up as we had frequent daily customers that I would see who were experiencing homelessness, and there was one lady in particular. Her name was Diane. Diane was incredibly well-known in the Pasadena area with her southern accent and her charismatic personality. I would see her on a regular basis until one day Diane disappeared. I couldn't find her. I saw her a few weeks or months later, and I realized that the city of Pasadena had housed Diane. The housing authority had taken it upon themselves to have an initiative to end homelessness in our city. And I was blown away by this. Our city, the housing authority. Here I was working at a church, attending seminary, and I saw this movement of God using our city's initiative to do this kingdom work. Now, I don't mean this to be a knock or a bash on the church. I mean it rather to say it challenged me to see God's work and activity in the world as being so much bigger. Of God's church being redefined, not just as a Sunday service or a program that we operate, but it involved God's people moving and acting wherever there was um, an opportunity for reconciliation and restoration of things that are broken. As our guardrail guides us today, we know that God's work is accomplished when we, the church, pour ourselves out and serve others. And this is done best when in response to the love that God has revealed to us in Christ. I begin with this story to say that I've wrestled often with what ministry looks like as it relates to serving and caring for others. And I believe John 13, our text today, gives us a deep and brilliant story that captures the complexities of first what the gospel is and second what its impact is on us the church before getting into John 13 i love John's gospel and John starts John 13 starts with this idea that Jesus' hour had come and this is a phrase that's it's familiar to John John starts and it describes Jesus' ministry as the series of signs that Jesus performs and the first one he turns water into wine at a wedding And right away, people start getting excited. He says, hold on, my time, my hour has not yet come. Later on, as he continues doing signs, he tells people, he gives them a warning. He says, it's coming, my hour, it's coming, my my hour. This culminates, and he resurrects a friend, Lazarus, in chapter 11. It's building momentum. And in, in chapter 12, he tells his followers, he says, the hour is almost here. And I'm about to return to the Father, which means I'm going to die and I'm going to depart from this world. Then we get to chapter 13, our text today. And in the first sentence, we're told, Jesus' hour has come. As readers, as students of this, this is where we get the popcorn. This is where we're told, hey, let's pause. Whatever's about to happen here, this is big. This is climactic. Jesus' hour has come. Here we go. Everything is led up to this moment, so what's about to happen? He's at a dinner scene. He's sitting with his followers. It's the holy week of Passover. They're in the holy city of Jerusalem. They're sitting around. Jesus gets up from the middle of the meal. He takes off his outer garments. Kind of weird. He wraps himself in a towel. He goes down and bends over, and he goes to his disciples' feet, and he starts washing their feet. What an interesting story. Um, not only this, but then we have the notoriously outspoken disciple Peter, who says, whoa, you can't do this, Jesus. You can't wash my feet. You're my master. You're my teacher. And then we get this dialogue where Jesus begins to interpret what he's doing. He begins to imp- interpret that this, what I'm doing here, it's a metaphor. It's a symbol of something so much bigger that I came To serve. And my service is gonna bring purity. It's gonna bring cleansing. It's gonna bring reconciliation. Before getting too far, I want to pause on on two things within this story that that really stand out to me, and I think are just very interesting points that I've learned along my studies. And the the first is to draw attention to this idea of Jesus taking off his clothes. Certainly stands out, I think, to most of us readers is why does this happen? And I've learned that whenever we see clothing in the scripture, to see it as a sign of inheritance, a sign of inheritance being passed down. We see this um, in Joseph, or um, hold on one second. We see this in Joseph in the Old Testament, the youngest of 12 brothers whose father decides to pass his inheritance to the youngest son, the 12th. And we see this symbolized by giving him a colorful jacket. (laughs) Likewise, we see Later in the scriptures, a young David, who's going off to war, and in a sign of foreshadowing, the king Saul gives him his armor that he puts on him. David will soon become the next great king of Israel. But here, in this passage, we have Jesus taking off his garments. We know Jesus' inheritance is from his father, and so in this act, we have this symbol of Jesus stripping himself of his divinity, foreshadowing the cross when he's going to be forsaken by God and Jesus will embrace the fullness of his humanity. This is, this is the depth of which Jesus goes. This is the path of descent. We would think that the Messiah figure would come in power and that the culmination of his ministry would be this time that he was in all control and all power, but on the contrary, we see Jesus stripping himself, saying, I am vulnerable, I am weak, I'm going to stoop down to the depths, I'm going to go to the feet, the places of brokenness, I am going to experience that. Second thing that I picked up in this recent study of this text, I've often heard in this passage that this would have been normal and customary in times, that oftentimes when you had an event or an important meal and people would journey to your home, you would have a servant that when you entered the home would wash your feet. Now, what's cool is that Jesus embodies this role as a servant, and while that's cool, there's a step more to this here, and that is that Jesus doesn't do this when they enter. Jesus interrupts the meal. It's almost like this is a performance, or this is intentional, this act. He wants to showcase something to his disciples. He wants to tell them a message and he wants them to get this point, we can see in these layers that this is not just a story about servant leadership. The critical lesson here is that Jesus wants to reveal to them the culmination and the purpose of his ministry, and that is Jesus is bringing healing. Jesus is bringing purity and cleansing. He's going to go to the place of the cross where he's going to face death itself, and he's going to resurrect, and he's going to bring life. He's going to overcome this. But that's not it. It's like an infomercial. There's more. Um, Not only do we see in this story a culmination of what the gospel is, but we also are told some instructions. After this, Jesus gives a command. He says, now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Later in the verse, in, chapter 30, in verse 34, he says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, when you love one another, the world is gonna know that you belong to me. By your love for one another, this Christian mission, this is how it spreads. This is how it goes out. John 13 gives us a metaphor for Jesus' ministry, what the gospel is, what he came to accomplish, and it also gives us an instruction for the church and what we're to do in response. So Vine Church, I want to provide you all with just a few thoughts and encouragements on how I think we can grow in this guardrail to do our part to pour ourselves out in response to the love that we have in Christ. Some encouragements and thoughts on how we can love one another, how we can love the places of pain and brokenness and hurt in our city, in our community, and also our world. So, first, in order to pour yourself out well for others, our first action, my first encouragement, is that we start by seeking Jesus. As our guardrail reminds us, this pouring out, it's a response. It's a cause and effect. And we're going to be hard-pressed to do the effect without the cause first. I think this is why Jesus is pretty stern with Peter in this story. He wants to make sure Peter gets this, that Peter can't go on without receiving this foot washing. Peter can't go on to serve and love and spread this message without first receiving what Jesus came to give to him. This charge that Jesus gives, it's not void of something given to us first. I think, though, in reality, you know, Peter had Jesus with him. For us, this can seem abstract of what does this mean to simply pursue Jesus, to go to Jesus first. This can be a hard thing for us to know where to begin and where to look, and so there's just a couple things I want to point out to, maybe some starting points that we can look at. And the first one is, in your life, in your experiences, where has Jesus brought healing? Where has Jesus entered your life and you've seen moments of grace, of restoration? Perhaps you've experienced a struggle, an addiction. You've overcome a habit. Perhaps you've found freedom from these things. Perhaps the starting point is that we go and find where is that happening and how do I encourage and bless somebody else with that thing? Maybe you've weathered a storm in marriage or as a parent. You've overcome some things that you didn't expect. How can you use those experiences to serve and to bless and to pour out into others who are experiencing that? Maybe you've gone through a season of mental health challenges, of depression, of questioning your faith. How do you go to those spaces, and when you come out of them, bless other people? because we need that, because we have people going through that thing right now as we speak. A second thing to be mindful of and to look for is where does your heart break? Where do you feel nudged? Is it driving by downtown and seeing the tents and not knowing what to do? What are we supposed to do with this? Is it facing the reality that in our country still today, Once someone's skin color is a determinant in so many factors, too many factors that should exist, does this bother you? Is it the reality that we have more foster kids in our community than we have foster homes to go to? Is it that people are being trafficked and sold for their bodies still in our community, in our town? What's the thing that grabs you and pulls you and challenges you? And maybe a starting point is to look into it. What can I do in this space? What do I do with this passion that's boiling up? To me, I think this is where we see Jesus. I think this is where Jesus is is calling us. And I think this, for us, if we feel paralyzed and confused and where to start, here's a starting point. How do we see Jesus in our lives today? A second encouragement is embrace the awkward and, most importantly, embrace the challenge Serving others is so challenging because it brings up the complexities of this world. This this is the one that hits home to me because I, I work for a local nonprofit and we are positioned to be the first community, the city of Austin is positioned to be the first community in the country to end youth homelessness, but we are hitting so many roadblocks and speed bumps. We are burning out and struggling and I just want to normalize that the struggle is present when we serve other people. It is a challenge. My wife Katie used to work at World Vision and she had a colleague, a coworker, that used to say, community development, or we could say serving other people, it's not rocket science, it's harder. (laughs) That may sound like a joke or it may sound offensive if anybody here is a scientist. I stand by this claim. I believe this claim, that to enter the spaces of brokenness, of pain, to look in our communities where there's a lack of resources, where you have long histories of oppression, where you have systems and institutions that are stacked up against certain communities, then on top of that, you add the complexity and layers of trauma, of mental health. And then the interpersonal dynamic of me entering this space and then let's go back to the reality that we don't have enough resources allocated for these things. This is incredibly challenging work and I think what this means, I promise this will be maybe hopefully encouraging, I think we have to be present. We have to bring our best. We have to get involved. This is our call, church. This is what we're supposed to be doing in our city. And so we can't just have a few people out there doing this stuff. It matters how we are interacting with our spaces. We need to bring excellence. We need to demand resources. And and here's the big one. We need a faith capable of believing that we can make an impact in the world. We need a faith capable of believing the promises that God is big enough to heal and restore all things. My final encouragement, my final word is to remember that you represent Jesus in the world when you serve. You, are, you represent Christ in the world when you serve. As Jesus reminds his followers in the foot washing scene, by their love for others, they will be known as Jesus's disciples in the world. To me, this is my, this, like everybody says, like, what's that thing you're going to ask when you you know, come face-to-face with God. Like, what, to me, the great mystery of our world and of our faith is that Jesus leaves and puts us in charge. I mean, that blows my mind, that Jesus came in ministry, came in power, he did this work, and he says, all right, it's up to you now, go out. It's, it's crazy to me. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, you are Christ's ambassadors, as if God was making his appeal to the world through you. Do we see ourselves as God's ambassadors? Do we realize what God has given us, the power to which God has left us? Something very special about this week is that churches around the world are celebrating Pentecost Sunday. This is a recognition of when God pours out his Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, and in Acts chapter 2, it uses this very language that God's Holy Spirit is poured out. What an image we have, our guardrail of our call to pour ourselves out for others, of Jesus pouring out and washing feet, and of the Holy Spirit being poured out on God's people. Friends, may we take great courage May we understand the strength that we have and the promise that God is with us and the very same power that fills Christ. It is ours in the Holy Spirit. One one chapter later than this of the foot washing, John chapter 14, Jesus tells his followers, I am sending for you an advocate, a Holy Spirit that will go before you and it will remind you of all the things that I taught you. So take courage. Go out into the world. You have an advocate. I love this language. I love this idea of an advocate used to describe that the Holy Spirit is here to aid us. It's here to be ours. So I'm going to invite the band up. And as we receive this message on the foot washing of Jesus today, may we recognize in this story a few things. One, the power of what's happening in this scene. The symbols and the message that Jesus is giving, the purpose for his ministry to heal, to restore, to bring cleansing, to bring purity, but also may we see in this story a call, a charge, a commission to go out, to be sent, to represent Jesus to the world. Vine Church, I leave you with these three encouragements as you serve others. Seek Jesus Pay attention to those things in your life and those things in the world that are sticking with you. Embrace the challenge. Bring your best. And three, take courage. We're not alone. We have God's spirit with us. So go in the love of Christ, grace and peace.